Good morning, everybody. Uh, good to see you guys. So glad you all are here. If you're new to our church, we're just so glad you're here today. Uh, I know these have been very interesting, difficult days in so many ways, and uh, we're just so glad to find uh, just a place of peace and respite, a place where we can all come together, worship the Lord, and focus on what's most important. And so we're glad you're here today. If you want a gift from our church, we have it right out here in the lobby. You can come right after uh, worship today, and uh, our greeters will be happy to kind of uh, get you that gift and get to know you a little bit. Hope you guys are having a, a good week as you're getting back into school now. The last couple weeks, things are kind of, you know, feeling kind of different, but, uh, but people and the kids are getting back into school, and, uh, and it's a little, little challenging. But next week, we're going to start a new series of messages. We're going to talk about being renewed, what it means to kind of find renewal and re-engagement in the body of Christ. And so I want to encourage you guys to be back here next week for that. Today is the last day in the series on the book of Galatians. And we have walked through the six chapters in the book of Galatians over really about six weeks. We've just kind of dug right in and looked at the, uh, these chapters. And we have learned over and over again that the book of Galatians, Paul is writing to a group of individuals, a group of Christians in a place in the world called Galatia. It doesn't, they don't call it that today. They call it southern Turkey. But, uh, but that's where it was back then. And they believed in Jesus. Paul had converted them to Christianity. They believed in Christ. But then some other people came into the, their, their mix after Paul had left and convinced them that Jesus is not enough. That they need Jesus plus something else. And they were called Judaizers. And so they needed Jesus plus Judaism. They need Jesus plus all the food laws. They needed Jesus plus something else. And Paul is just saying, I want you to not focus on all the rules and regulations, but focus on being authentically who you are and accepting the grace of Christ. Yesterday was the 146th running of the Kentucky Derby. Did you guys see the Kentucky Derby yesterday? A little bit different because uh, there was not a crowd watching the Kentucky Derby. So all these sporting events are so different. But on the track, it didn't matter. And the horses were there all prepared and the the horse that was supposed to win the race was called Tis the Law. Tis the Law was, the, was the, the preemptive favorite of the race. Everyone knew Tis the Law was going to win. In fact, it had just won, I think, just a few weeks ago, the Belmont Stakes. And now here it is in the Kentucky Derby, the, the greatest two minutes in sports. But against Tis the Law was another horse called Authenticity. And Authenticity was an eight-to-one horse, and they took off out of the gate. Authenticity versus Tis the Law. Tis the Law doesn't get off the gate right away. It, it kind of goes okay at the beginning, and then it sort of starts to fade just a little bit. And Authenticity just pulls right around Tis the Law and begins to, to win, begins to run the race better. In fact, Authenticity makes a little bit better run, and it stays ahead almost the entire race until the end, it picks it up again. Tis the law is trying to catch up, but authenticity takes over and wins the race. And I know, you guys, this is like, for a preacher, this is like perfect. I mean, like, how could, how could authenticity not beat the law? Amen? You know what I'm saying? And, and I think when it comes to, like, the Christian life, it's like, hey, you could either root for the law you could root for tis the law, the preemptive favorite, the one that's supposed to win the race, or you could go with the authenticity that Christ wants you to have, and that's going to get you across the finish line. Authenticity. Years ago, there was a popular book entitled I'm Okay, You're Okay by Thomas Harris. The book really centered on a concept called 
transactional analysis, and he said that there are four ways to look at life. I'm okay, you're okay. I'm okay, you're not okay. I'm not okay, but you're, and you're not, uh, not okay. And finally, I'm not okay, but you're okay. But the premise of the book was actually a faulty one because even the title, I'm okay and you're okay, that whole premise is not, is not okay. The reality is we're all not okay. Not one of us has it all together. Not one of us is perfect. If we try to follow tis the law, we know it is not going to be a winner. The Bible teaches that no matter how good you are, no matter how hard you try, you will never be good enough to get to heaven on your own. I am not okay, and you're not okay, but that's okay because Jesus is all right. And Jesus gets us to the finish line. Authenticity. And God just says, I don't want all your effort. I don't want all this extra stuff. I just want you and you alone. I want you and you alone. I just want to be in relationship with you. And, and if you love me, Christ says, if you love me, you know I love you. And I have paid the price for your sin on the cross. If you receive that price, if you receive the price that I gave for you on the cross, then you will win. You will be in that winner's circle. And it will not be because of any of your effort. It'll be because Christ got you there. And so that's what the book of Galatians is all about. That's a summary of the book of Galatians. And it's a little bit heady from time to time, but it's really a gospel message. It's the message over and over again that we need Christ, Christ alone. Galatians chapter 2 told us, I am crucified with Christ. They're no far, it's no longer who, me who lives. It is Christ who lives in me. He's the one who gets me to the finish line. But now that we have been saved, now that we have been redeemed, now we do have responsibility as part of the family of God. And so that's what I want to talk about today is in chapter 6 in Galatians, the responsibilities that we have in response to the love of Christ. And one of those responsibilities is a responsibility to other people. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Our first responsibility is one to others, and that's the responsibility of restoration. There will be times where there will be a, one of your friends that you're in a relationship with, and they're in a challenging situation, or they're making a decision that you know is not right. And so you, as a, a godly brother or sister, come along and put your arm around them, and, uh, and you restore them gently. James 5, the, the author of James one time wrote, If anyone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back again, you can be sure that the one who brings the person back will save that sinner from death and bring about forgiveness of many sins. You could either be someone who points a finger in judgment, or you could put an arm around in support. Uh, several years ago, when I was in my first uh, ministry, I was a youth pastor in Blountville, Tennessee, Blumville, Tennessee, and I was a hick, believe me, and I have some old sermon tapes that you guys should try to pull out. They are very funny, but uh, I thought I, I was having a good time. This is when we used to have Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night church, and uh, it was Sunday night, and the adults were all up in the upper, you know, sanctuary room, and they were all having worship together, and Paul Gebhardt, one of the elders, was up there, and he was leading morning, or he was leading evening prayer. Hey, anybody got any prayer concerns over here, over here? Well, meanwhile, down in the basement, I was leading the student ministry in a beach party. I mean, we were having the greatest time, and, and I just thought, 
you know, they're kind of stuffy upstairs. We need to, like, bring the joy of the beach into the sanctuary, right? And that's what we did. I was like, all right, here's what we're going to do. We had three doors at the back of the worship center. Like, I had a boom, a boom box. Thank you. I had a boom box. It's on the shoulder. Let's go surfing now, everybody. I had kids, beach balls, the whole deal. And all of a sudden, Paul Gebhardt, when he said, Amen. I said, that's going to be the cue, man. We're all going to bust into the back of the worship center. And so, like, I had this picture of how this was going to go down. And, uh, and so he says, amen. And all of a sudden, boom, all these teenagers to the back, let's go surfing now. I mean, why not? Why shouldn't the whole church be happy? You know what I'm saying? Why, why is it just the kids? So we come busting in there. We have beach balls. I told them that we should just, you know, kind of hit them at people, and this will be a lot of fun. I just imagine beach balls like at a concert going in the air. I'll never forget when I threw one, Mrs. Simmerly was in like row number two. I threw that beach ball at her, and she didn't even, like her reflexes aren't very good anymore. She didn't even raise up. She just like, it hit her. She was like a weeble wobble in the, in the pew. I was like, oh, this is not a good idea. Well, nobody ever said anything to me about that ever. Like the kids thought it was great, and it was fun. My day of ordination, I was going to be ordained in the ministry. It's the last day I was going to be at that church, 1992. And I cried. I mean, my grandparents were involved in that service. My grandfathers both prayed. My dad, my whole family. Every, it was quite a touching, emotional day. But at that day, everybody else left the room. And Leland Hauser, one of the most gentle elders that I've ever met, he put his arm around me. He said, Stephen, you've done a good job here. He said, you remember this day because you're going to need to remember it because times are going to get tough. And you're going to need to remember that you were called to ministry. This day is going to be a reminder of that to you. And then he put his arm around me and he said, you remember that beach ball thing where you came in? Now don't do that ever again. <laughs> don't do that ever again. And then I went out, I got the point. Point made, right? Point made. Well, friends, I could tell you about a lot of other stories where I've had other encounters with people in the church who, rather than putting an arm around, put a finger in your face, right? More likely to say, this is what you did wrong, and this is how you did it wrong, rather than let's restore you gently. See, that's what he says when he says, restore someone gently. Make sure that you, you're checking yourself first, and then you go to them in love. You go to them and restore them in love. And I have made this mistake before in, our, in my, in my uh, very first pastorate ministry in Columbus, Ohio, where we had an individual that was involved in in an inappropriate uh, relationship, and we had a plan to go to his apartment. He had been very kind of really, just this is the way it's going to be, and I'm going to do it, and I don't care what anybody says. And the leaders and I went to his apartment unannounced that morning, knocked on his door. Looking back, it was a terrible approach to restoring a brother who was caught in sin. We did not put our arm around him in a way to kind of include him. We kind of said, you need to change or else, and he didn't. And I think a lot of that could be him, and a lot of that could be us. And I think I've learned since then that it's not good when someone's in sin to put your finger in their face. It's better to put your arm around their shoulder. That's one of the reasons why this is a grace place, a place of restoration, a place of healing, a place of responsibility to one another. So one of our responsibilities is to others, to to restore them gently. Another responsibility is for encouragement. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2 says, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anything, one thinks there's something, when they're not, they deceive themselves. Carry each other's burdens. 
People face a lot of problems today and a lot of challenges. They have loneliness and frustration and things that you don't even know that they're dealing with. And so just encourage them. Put your arm around them. Lovingly restore them. Lovingly encourage them. Lovingly comfort them. And just really just say, we're in this thing together. We have a responsibility to build one another up in love. My mom used to say, if you can't say something nice, then what? Don't say anything at all. And if you can't lovingly say to somebody, hey, we're in this together. How's your day? I want to encourage you. Well, that, that's, the, that's what God wants from us. We have a responsibility of restoration and encouragement. We also have a responsibility of doing good. Verse 10 says, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to our Christian brothers and sisters. We need to look for opportunities to do good. It might cost you a little bit. It might cost you a little bit of time or energy or effort, but it's worth doing. Uh, Josh and Jess have been trying to get into their house. You know, it's been really challenging. Uh, their contractor has been challenging, and, and, uh, and, and so it's taken a lot of extra effort. And uh, they had some painting that needed to be done, and Erin from our church staff just showed up one day. I don't even think she knew exactly what was happening, but she just showed up. And I remember Josh saying to her, Aaron, that's the sign of a true friend. You didn't even know exactly, but you came to help out. And uh, we appreciate that. That responsibility to say, we're going to shoulder this together. We're going to do good together. We're going to support one another. And I, could, I see that over this place all the time. Galatians says we have a responsibility to others. And number two, it says we have a responsibility to ourselves. Verse 4 says, each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. Test your own actions. Don't compare to other people because you're always, your comparisons are always going to be wrong, right? We always want to compare to somebody who we feel like maybe doesn't have quite what we have. Hey, listen, guys, our softball team here at Axis back, I don't even want to jinx us, but, you know, um, our softball team is back on the winning track, and we have had so much fun this year. We have a guy who comes. He brings a Bluetooth speaker. Like all the other teams are like, oh, you know, serious. Our team, this guy brings oldies music. So we're getting up. But the whole, the whole game, it's in our dugout. You know, boom, 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 boom. I got sunshine. You know, it's like everybody's having fun. This is no lie. This is what's happening. I loved it last week, though, when we were winning the first game of the tournament, and on his oldie station came, boom, 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 another one bites the dust. I was like, how appropriate is that? You know what I'm saying? How appropriate is that? And, and now, listen, we have some great athletes on our team. One of them is actually here. Ryan is just a fantastic athlete. Every time he gets up, you're thinking, I mean, if I was playing third base, I would just go ahead and lay down on the ground and say, Let, just don't hit me with this thing. You know, I might die. Um, or, it, or it's going to go out, all right? And this is, we have this kind of athlete. We have Kevin Shanks on our team. If you guys know Kevin, Kevin is a runner. I mean, he is so fast. And he never played softball in his life until last year. But he played, or two years ago, he plays really, really well, mostly because he hustles. And, and this guy, I could be on third base, the third base coach, and I'm going to yell at him, don't run, don't run, don't run. He's going to run. Like, I'll be like, stop, stop, stop. He does not listen. But he always will turn a, a single into a double, no matter what. And eight, eight times out of ten, it works to our advantage. He's turning a single into a double. So, listen, 
I, they used to call me wheels when I was playing softball. They don't call me wheels anymore. You know what I'm saying? Nobody ever says that about me. But about Kevin Shanks, he's wheels. Now, if I compare myself to Kevin Shanks running around the bases, I might feel bad about myself. I might say, this guy, I'm not as fast as he is. But we have other guys on our team, too. Paul Mead's on our team. He's not as fast as Kevin Shanks. And I dare say, he's not as fast as me. Amen. You know what I'm saying? He, that boy can turn a double into a single, all right? And it, it can happen. And so I love that. I'm like, man, I'm taking off. I feel good about myself. I look at Paul. If I look at Kevin, I feel bad about myself. Now, that's the problem with comparison. With comparison, you always find somebody else who you have a little bit better or maybe, and you don't want to look at the person and you say, well, man, I don't want to compare myself to them. The, the deal is, and Galatians says it very clearly, we are all, all of us are imperfect. You compare to anybody in this world, you just need to, the Bible says compared to Christ, all of our righteousness is like filthy rags. Even on your best day, the best of your best day, you're not even close to comparing yourself to where Christ is. So with yourself, just take responsibility for your own action. Don't compare with anybody else. It's always a losing uh, endeavor. Your second responsibility to yourself is to take ownership of your behavior. Paul says in verse 5, so everyone should carry their own load. Paul tells us to be as good as we can be, do as much as we can do, carry that load, but also realize that you are imperfect. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God in Christ Jesus is eternal life. You don't have to earn your salvation. You don't have to be good enough. You don't have to, you just need to embrace what Christ has done for you. Your, your motive for doing good is that Christ has loved you, and you don't have to be perfect. So your motive for being the best that you can be is that it pleases God and it gives you life. But he says you need to take responsibility for your actions, take responsibility, and then do the best you can and rely on Christ. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 says, Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please the flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. And that means... That in the Christian life, there is this very natural law of sowing and reaping. You reap bad stuff, you get bad stuff. You reap good stuff, you get good stuff. It makes a lot of sense. You reap bad stuff, you get bad. You reap good, you get good. If you sow kindness and love and mercy and generosity, you will reap those back in your life. A lot of times we talk about the negative side. We talk about, oh no, what you, you reap what you sow, so if you do bad stuff, you're going to get bad stuff, and preachers will come at you and say, here's the law of sowing and reaping, and that is part of it. But part of it is, when you reap good stuff in your life, you reap good stuff in your life. That is absolutely true. That when you are holy, you reap holiness. When you're kind, you reap kindness. When you serve others, you have them oftentimes serve you in return. Another responsibility to ourselves is the responsibility of perseverance. In verse 9, it says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And boy, that is a verse you should memorize. Because right now, in the midst of all of what we see around us, it is tempting to give up. It is tempting to get so discouraged that we throw up our hands and say, Look, it doesn't matter anymore. Friends, it matters. You living a life of godliness 
faithfulness, holiness, love, gentleness, and serving others matters. It matters. So don't be weary in doing good. For the proper time, you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. Some of you right now are maybe in a, a job situation and you feel like, I need to just quit that job right now. I just, I'm done with this job. I don't want to be in that job anymore. Well, maybe God's asking you to stay in that job for a little while longer. You say, well, my, I, I'm ready to quit on a relationship and, and it's just not going well. Well, maybe on the other side of, of, of tomorrow will be another day that will be a day of reaping benefit, not sorrow. Stay in it. Don't become weary in doing good. Napoleon Hill tells the story of a man who bought a silver mine and excavated it for years in search of silver. He found nothing. Finally, he gave up. He sold it for a fraction of what he paid for it. The new owner came in, resumed excavation, and wouldn't you know, three Weeks later, he found uh, silver in the mine. The original owner was so close to reaping a benefit. And maybe you're so close to reaping a benefit. But you got to hang in there. you got to stay in there. Don't become weary in doing good. For at the due season, you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. So we have a responsibility to others. We have a responsibility to ourselves. And we have a responsibility to God. Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, look at this verse. It says, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me, all of its desires. And I to the world, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, due uh, to also the Israel of God or to the people of God. This is our responsibility, that we would live according to this principle. It is a principle that says that no matter what this world offers, that I will crucify myself so that I might gain Christ. Christ alone. He says that I will boast in nothing except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're about to enter football season. And years ago, I, I, of course, I enjoy football. I watched the game yesterday. The Bengals and the Ravens in, in 2018, it was on Channel 64. The Bengals won, so that's why I endured, because I knew they were going to win the game. But, uh, but years and years ago, you remember the Buffalo Bills? A guy named Frank Reich play, play, played for the Buffalo Bills. And, and at that time, he had the <coughs> greatest comeback in AFC football history. He scored four touchdowns for the team, came in as a backup quarterback, came in, at the end of the game, he won that game, and, uh, and it became, went down as the greatest comeback in NFL history. At the, after the game interview, they interviewed Frank Reich, and they said, uh, they said, tell us, tell us, Frank, tell us, what were you thinking? What were you thinking? And he, and he quoted a song, it was actually a gospel song, in Christ alone will I glory, though I could pride myself in, in battles won, I am blessed beyond measure in Christ alone. And I love that verse of that song, and I love the idea that here he was at the greatest moment of accomplishment of his professional career, and he gave credit to Christ and Christ alone. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
He's the one who gives us our talents, our abilities. He's the one who gives us our opportunities. He's the one who took all of our sin, poured on him on the cross, dumped them on himself. He who knew no guilt took on our guilt. He paid the price for our sins, all of our sins, yesterday's sins, today's sins, tomorrow's sins. He paid for all of them. The Bible says that God made Christ who had never sinned to be offered for our sins so that we could be given the right to be in the family of God. Your sin was placed on his shoulders. The punishment that you had coming to you, the punishment that was on you, was given to him, paid in full. And Galatians says, therefore, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, neither the rules and regulations that these other individuals want to be put on you, all of this Jesus plus stuff is out the window. I will boast only in Christ and in Christ alone. Romans chapter 3 says, for now God has shown us a new way of being right in his sight, not by obeying tis the law, but by by the way he promised in the scripture long ago. We are made right in God's sight when we trust in Jesus to take away our sins, and we can all be saved in that same way, no matter who you are or what you have done. It is through that, that authentic relationship with Christ and Christ alone. Now what I want to do at the end of this series, I'm going to have Hannah just come, and I want to pray for you. We're at the end of the Galatians series. We've learned a lot, but I want to have just a moment or two or three of reflection today about where you are in your relationship with Christ today. I want to remind you that in a couple weeks, we have baptism day on the 20th of September. We're going to go down to the Little Miami River. If you've never submitted to Christ, you know, uh, in, in that moment, you know, this is not a, a gift. A gift has to be received. It's not just something that because Christ gave his life, it's just, you know, you can do nothing to receive it. You do need to receive it. A gift was given to you. Now it's your opportunity to say, I want to receive that gift. And the Bible says how you receive the gift. You believe in Christ. Some of you may have a head issue today. You may, you're not sure. I don't know. Do I believe or don't I believe? Well, study it. Research it. I mean, millions and millions and millions and tens and hundreds of millions of people across these generations over the last 2,000 years have come to that very same conclusion that in Christ alone, I'm talking doctors and lawyers and physicians and plumbers and trash workers and nurses and people, all philosophers have come to that conclusion that in Christ alone, and if it's a head issue, boy, come and ask. We, got, we don't know everything, but boy, we've been through that same process trying to understand, does God exist and does he love me? I took back at a Milligan College the other day and there on the steps just as you go through the entrance is that is that church Hopwood Memorial Chapel right over there to the right and on the steps next to that church building is where I came to a moment of crisis in my faith and I yelled out to God on a stormy night God if you exist why don't you come sit next to me right now there's a freshman in college who wasn't boasting in Christ well God didn't sit next to me that day at least physically but when I got back to the room, the Holy Spirit impressed on my heart in such a strong way as I just simply looked down at my hand and the, the blood vessels and the fingernails and everything else. And in my mind, I went, there's no way that just happened. And that led me to a time in my life where I began to study and research where my faith wasn't my parents anymore. It needed to be my faith. And so I started to study and research and find out why did God, why does God exist? And why do I believe the Bible? And did Christ die? And 
And I did all that research and came to that conclusion on my own that Christ indeed is enough. Maybe that's you. Maybe you need that process. Maybe you need a moment like that, a kind of a, a turning point. Well, if you've already passed that turning point and you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, then you confess that to people. You just say, God, I believe it. Tell your, tell your friends. Tell your family. Say, some of you don't know my family. I grew up in this kind of family. They'll ridicule me. Well, tell them anyway. Tell them in the right way. Tell them with an arm around their shoulder. Don't put your finger in their face. Confess it. Believe it. Confess it. Repent. Repent of your sins. God, I'm sorry. I, I'm not okay. That's the truth. So God, just receive me where I am, right where I am today, because I, I'm not perfect. I want to repent of my sin. And then be baptized into Christ. It's a, it's a marking moment. It's a moment where you're saying, just as Christ died, I'm dying. Just as he was buried, I'm going to be buried. Just as he was raised to new life, I'm going to be raised to new life. That's a decision nobody else can make for you. Your parents made, some of you, your parents tried to make that for you. You grew up, oh, we're going to have you baptized as a baby or, or maybe as a young child. Listen, nobody can make that decision for you. It is a decision that you have to make. You're the only one that stands before you and God. Nobody else stands with you other than Christ. And so you need to come to that moment where you say, I want to be buried. I want to be raised to new life. And that opportunity is going to be given to you here in just a couple weeks, September 20th. Let us know if you are interested in doing that. We want to, we want to baptize you that day and celebrate. All right, I want to pray for you. God, lead us into this time right now, this time of reflection. God, help us, first of all, those who have never come to Christ. God, I pray that there would be that conviction today that the Holy Spirit would lay on their heart that they need to make that decision. Nothing's more important. In a world of chaos, we need some calm. In a world of uncertainty, we need a firm foundation. So, God, I just pray today that you would offer that, extend that invitation to people so they know that, that they can receive you. Secondly, for God, for those who are still trying to work their way to heaven, God, I just pray that they would learn through this uh, series and, this, uh, and the scripture that we can't earn it. We're really not okay. God, we need your help. They'd admit that. And, God, for those who have already made that decision to have Christ, be the Lord of their life. I pray then that they would then embrace the responsibility of living the Christian life. Responsibility to themselves, responsibility to others, responsibility to you, God. We do it not out of obligation or duty. We do it out of devotion. And so, God, I pray that we would have that devoted heart that would say, God, I want to love you the best I can, and I want to love other people, not with a judgmental spirit, but with a discerning heart, arm around them, just saying, I love you so much. I want to help lead you, guide you, and uh, I want you to do the same for me. God, help us have that spirit as a church. We just pray for all this and thank you. Thank you, God. We praise you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with us? And